spiritual practice in the best of times is happiness making. It's bliss making. We, we feel good. We feel vibrant. We feel joyful in the best of times. But in the worst of times, it keeps you from drowning. And I can definitely say that when you experience uh, very difficult external circumstances, uh, a spiritual practice is like a life jacket. It keeps you afloat. And it really did that for me. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm so excited for this week's guest, Farah Nazrali. Farah is a devoted yoga student who has been teaching for over 15 years. She has studied classical yoga, Tibetan Buddhism, nonviolent communication, and conflict resolution. She is a pioneer in integrating conflict resolution skills with yogic practices and Buddhist wisdom, bringing a somatic approach to communication and conflict. Farah is the former podcast host of In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound and Hollyhock Talks, as well as the founder of Drishti Point Yoga Podcasts. So she's a real pioneer in the yoga podcast world. So it's such an honor and delight to welcome you. Welcome to the show, Farah. Thanks so much, Bobby. It's so great to connect with another yogi and podcaster and so rare to see both together. Yeah, and like we were just talking about before, I'm just so excited to have you here that you've been podcasting since what, 2015, I think, or maybe even earlier? Earlier, I think it was more like 2007 or 2008. It definitely is a different experience to be on this side of things. Yeah, well, I listened to a few of the episodes and I just love it. And like we said before, it's when we talk of, you know, sadhana and yoga and spirituality is the context changes, but it is so timeless. So I'm really excited to hear your story. So the show is for the spiritual seeker and inspired by other sadhaks spiritual path. So why don't you just begin by letting us know how you got to this point, how you came onto this path? Well, I became interested in yoga as many people in North America do, because it was popular and it was, there were many yoga studios around and I was looking for something that would help with my flexibility and also help with, you know, bringing a little more calmness to my mind. Um, And I, so I, I became a yoga student and practiced in a studio culture and studio setting, but I would say, Really, my spiritual path began when I met my guru. And that's when I really realized that I didn't know anything about yoga. And and 
something that I had never experienced before started to open up inside of me. And that's when I really understood that yoga is such so much more than a physical practice. It really is about, it really is a tool for consciousness and a tool for transformation. And it really, um, it's really um, probably one of the most sophisticated and profound technologies that we have as human beings. Mm, yes, it is. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's so profound and so accessible, yet it's so not tapped into almost. Yes, I would agree. I would say, you know, there's so many different layers and levels of yoga and probably in North America, we're just scratching the surface. Whereas in a place like India, which, which is where yoga originates from and which has such a rich history, that's really where you can deep, you can dive much deeper into the essence of yoga as opposed to the surface of yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely see in, in North America more of the surface yoga, which in one way, it, I still find it inspiring that it's growing. But in another way, I just really want to advocate for work like yours, which goes beyond the surface. And I'm wondering, at what part in your journey did you come to the Buddhism and the nonviolent communication aspect of your personal practice and your teaching? You know, I've always been interested in Buddhism and my interest in Buddhism happened in parallel to my interest in yoga. Um, I have always been drawn towards the teachings of the Buddha and the Four Noble Truths and to Buddhist practice that really um, is so much about opening our hearts to compassion and also speaks to suffering and pain that we experience as human beings. So it's so relevant to our experience. So it really happened in a parallel way. I've taken many, many classes and was really inspired to do a course of study uh, with the Asian Classics Institute that was started by Geshe Michael Roach. So it was a really um, fun, exciting time in my life where I felt like I was hungry for spiritual knowledge and the the buddhism that i was studying was so precise in describing things that it really um, gave me a vocabulary and gave me a different perspective my interest in nonviolent communication uh, came you know as i'm sure many people experience this where when we're ready and it's the right time, it just shows up. I remember reading a magazine and I saw an ad for Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication. And I was like, I want to do this. And I don't know how, how I ended up enrolled in a course at a college, um, but I did. And I actually took it with my partner. I asked him to take this course with me and I lit up. I I saw that this was a communication tool that really has so much in common with yoga and Buddhism. It's rooted in non-harm. It's rooted in ahimsa. 
It's rooted in honesty and authenticity. So I diligently started to practice and apply what I was learning to my life. And I was really amazed at how it enhanced my relationships. Uh, it enhanced my intimate partnership with my husband, my communication with my husband. It's enhanced in so many ways, my communication with my parents and my family. I can't tell you how many times I've used it in professional relationships with my colleagues, but it's so enhanced my life and my relationships. And I continue to use it on a daily basis. Um, and conflict resolution um, came when I was at a point where, you know, working as a yoga teacher in your 20s and 30s, it's a bit of a hustle and you have the energy to do that. But as you get a little bit older, you can't sustain maybe 20 classes a week or whatever. And I was looking for another tool that I could have professionally and that could help me grow professionally. And I decided to look into mediation because I was always interested in uh, peace studies. And on the first day of my course, I realized, wow, this too, it's rooted in these ethical principles that are the foundation of the yogic path. So it really felt congruent. And I, again, I started to apply the skills and was really amazed at how much it helped me with difficult situations, difficult conversations, and just understanding conflict dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds really interesting because I just speaking with some people, I'm not sure about Buddhism, but I know in yogic philosophy, it can seem kind of esoteric to some people. And it seems like such a tangible, like applied practice, which is still rooted and, and in the same spirit of yoga. So it kind of seems like the perfect practice in the day to day in the world for one that's on the yogic path to also study and discover. You're totally right. I think that's exactly what it is. You know, it can be easy to say, oh, let it go or detach from your emotions. But in real life, it's not so easy. So how can we communicate in a way that doesn't project harm? And in a way that doesn't uh, hide it inside of ourselves, you know, when we're not honest with ourselves, and we're we're holding something and it's bothering us, but we don't want to say it because we want to be spiritual, you know, so it, it's, they're very practical tools and um, so grateful that I, I'm so grateful that I learned them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about your experience. I was reading on your website, your most beautiful about page, all like the words of wisdom that you wrote um, and the part that you wrote called the word P, and I'm wondering if you could speak about that experience in terms of your own spiritual practice, your spiritual relationship with your partner, and just talk about that a little bit. Oh my gosh. That was that period of time when my husband was diagnosed with a very serious neurological illness 
was one of the hardest periods of my life. And I, I know that, um, you know, the spiritual practice in the best of times is happiness making. It's bliss making. We, we feel good. We feel vibrant. We feel joyful in the best of times. But in the worst of times, it keeps you from drowning. And I can definitely say that when you experience uh, very difficult external circumstances, uh, a spiritual practice is like um, um, a life jacket. It keeps you afloat. And it really did that for me. And it wasn't easy. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that not only do I have a spiritual practice, but I have the opportunity to spend time in an ashram setting because also, you know, being surrounded and being, being in an environment that is really pure and being in an environment that is nourishing you with Sanskrit, the vibrations of Sanskrit, being in a community where other people are also practicing and it helps elevate you, that nourishes you in ways that nothing else can. And it's an environment that we can take refuge in. You know, an ashram is meant to be that. We can, we can take refuge and be there and, and um, it can nourish us. And it definitely, in my difficult times, nourished me. Mm-hmm. Would you would you be okay if I read the little part from the website where you so beautifully expressed? You said, the biggest lesson I have learned is that some virtues can only be cultivated in context of their opposite. Hardships and challenges can deepen us in ways that good fortunes and privileges can't. The blessing of my husband's diagnosis has brought us together in ways we could never have imagined. As he lets go of his old self and his old life, something precious is being born in his soul. Sometimes it takes a disaster to wake up, shake up our beliefs, and make us receptive. How does that make you feel to hear that? It's so beautiful. I just read, I read it a few times already today. It's always good to have a reminder, Um, you know, something deepened in both of us, you know, it's one thing to theoretically feel compassion, but when you have a lived experience of pain and suffering, you can relate to pain and suffering of others in a very different way. And you know, I, I think of the words of Pema Chodron, you know, when she talks about the relationship between um, the relationship of compassion is not one between healer and healed. It's one between equals. Because I know my own suffering, I can understand your suffering. And I think that um, this experience deepened both of us in that way, that you know, my husband, because of what he experienced in his body, he became so much more compassionate when he saw 
people who are experiencing body pain or elderly people who had difficulty walking or other people who had the same condition as him. And, and of course, I also deepened. I deepened because I really had a lived experience of pain and suffering. And so when other people would have a difficult time and I know what it feels like, it's mm. one of those subtle things that, you know, um, when someone, um, when someone knows you've been through something and they, they um, very quickly trust you. So I, I feel like I became very trustworthy to a larger group of people because suddenly I had a lived experience of pain and suffering and other people could trust that I know what that's like. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can't actually imagine what that was like for you both. And it's kind of interesting because just today at work, I did a workshop on compassion fatigue. So it's kind of like right in the center of my mind. And I'm wondering, like, how did your spiritual practice support you? in that way so that you are able to still, I know you said, like, I'm not sure how often you go to the ashram, but was that a part of your prevention to just have the compassion, like drain you out during those times? So, you know, I, um, I always used to, I grew up in a faith-based community. So I grew up amidst prayer and devotional song and meditation and congregation. Um, so that was in my, that's in my blood. And as an adult, um, I, I believed in the power of prayer, but I never really had a reason to commit to a practice of praying every day, re, you know, chanting or singing a prayer. But in the most difficult times, I thought I need help. And I thought to conduct a prayer experiment. And so I began um, an evening prayer. And that really had an impact. You know, prayer at its essence is communication between the individual and a higher power in our hearts. That's really what prayer is about. I mean, there's in, in some, for some prayers, that's what it's about. So it was a way for me to reach out for help in a sense and to communicate with my higher power and it helped so much. And that's just one example of what helped. I mean, the other thing that helped is I continued my asana practice. And let me tell you, asana is fantastic in keeping you healthy. But when, when, when life asks a lot of you, your health becomes even more important. And if I hadn't had my asana practice to sustain my health, 
I'm sure that I would, you know, I would suffer from my own health crisis. So those are just two small examples of like how specific practices in yoga have nourished me and sustained me. And, and of course, the practice of yoga nidra, it's one of my favorites. Um, but just the ability to really on a deep, deep level, relax all layers of our being. I mean, that is a profound gift to be able to do that. So I feel so grateful. Um, and of course, you asked about being in an ashram setting. I, I most recently, um, this summer, went to my guru's ashram and I felt like I was able to shed a lot of layers that might have taken me in other therapies or more modalities, might have taken me months or years to process. And somehow in one short stay, I felt spiritually I was able to cleanse a lot of layers. And that's really the power of being in a environment that carries a very pure and elevated vibration. It can do so much for us. I know you're speaking from lived wisdom and lived experience. So you are, you do have a lot of self-awareness, but I'm just thinking of people that are coming new on this path. You know, there's so much information. There's so many practices. There's so many lineages or styles or there's just so much like to for one to be, have the self-awareness to say like I need yoga nidra tonight or to have the skills to to differentiate which practices which communities which space is going to be most beneficial to us in that time it's really challenging it's like the age of information like, what would you say to that person that's, you know, like you have, you obviously know your practice, you know what you need, but for one that's starting, how do we know what to need, you know? Do what works and keep doing it. And when it stops working, try something else. You know, I think we learn that way. Like if something is helping, keep doing it. That in itself is, I mean, most people um, start something and having a consistent, steady practice is, is not easy, you know? So just to, just to keep doing a practice, like for most people, asana helps, <laughs> right? And, mm -hmm. and I always tell my students, there is the immediate impact of asana, and then there's the long-term impact. Like if you've been doing it for years and same with meditation, you'll get benefit immediately from meditation. But if you do it for years, that's really when it penetrates deep and starts to change us and change our personalities and transform us from the inside. So just keep doing what, what works. Mm -hmm. And stay curious. Yeah. Just like your podcast is called, right? Stay yeah. curious. Yeah, definitely. Did, I'm wondering if your students' needs changed in the last few years. Like, I'm sure you went online and 
what was that experience from your students' perspective of what they needed during these last few years and how it's shifted for them? Or even for you also. The last few years have been difficult for many people. And I think the interruption to our social lives was probably the biggest um, challenge for people. I mean, for some people, it was the fear of the virus and the fear of the pandemic. But for a lot of people, it was the the, uh, social isolation and the um, mental anxiety. And so what's changed for me now is when I teach in person and when I teach online, it's much more about, I'm much more attuned to the fact that people need connection. So for example, in my in-person classes in Vancouver, we do discussion after class. And the reason is this studio model of just coming in and leaving and not connecting really, I think is one of the things that, that um, isn't working. I think now um, what people are needing in a post-pandemic world is they're needing meaningful connection. And in a yoga class, we have an opportunity to create meaningful connection and have meaningful dialogue and talk about things other than what's happening in the news. You know, what's happening on the inside? How do we manage this vehicle and this gift we've been given. So I think that's one of the things that's changed, but I think there's many, many things that have changed in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's interesting that you talk about the community piece, because I'm, I'm thinking back to myself, like before the pandemic, I had moved to Toronto and I was embarking on a new life of sobriety and really wanting to go into the yoga path. And I was seeking community so I was going to yoga studios but there wasn't really a fostering of community that I so loved and cherished when I'm in India in the ashram in satsang and it's and for people that attend satsang that is such a huge part of the practice but in western yoga spaces there's not really a culture of satsang so it's interesting that you say that that when we I've gone through like these periods of isolation, like what do we seek is that connection with other seekers who are wanting something more. Yeah, I really felt that, you know, when I last November, I stepped back into teaching in person retreats, and I, I held my first retreat. And what really came out of that experience was how people enjoyed each other's company we we all had our social bubbles but to connect with a stranger to realize the universality of our suffering and the universality of the human experience and to hear stories from people that you might not socialize with in another setting that's really that was so powerful during that retreat that i i realized in a, if I can call it a post-pandemic world, right now I really feel the community building aspect of yoga is probably the most important piece 
that is part of the next chapter of yoga. How do you see that manifesting? Like, obviously in your own classes, you're cultivating that and with your retreats, but in the bigger scale, like how can we support that moving forward? And even during pandemic, a lot of yoga studios closed down. So people felt the loss of that community that that was there. And now it's like, how do we rebuild from that? In some ways, I think it goes back to the model that predated the studio culture. Ashram environments build community. And spiritual traditions and spiritual lineages um, naturally have community, whether it's Buddhist or yogic or other spiritual traditions. The studio culture was kind of a North American adaptation of yoga of like, come in, do your practice, go out. But it, it was never intended that way. I mean, in a, in a traditional setting, there's a relationship between teacher and student. And, you know, the other aspect of um, community that relates to this is um, I already felt that before the pandemic, yoga was moving also into this realm of like lifestyle coaching, because so many students, they do the asana, but then they, then they feel maybe they want to eat healthier, or they want to, um, they want to learn more about the sacred texts, or they want to study them. And, and if they want to study them, they want to be able to talk about them with someone else. So and there wasn't really that, um, there isn't really existing in a studio culture, those kinds of opportunities. So in some ways, I think the studio culture is, in order for it to survive, it needs to change and shift. I don't know if people have really picked up on how it needs to change and shift, but already, I think with um, what's happening in terms of dialogues about decolonization and cultural appropriation I think what is happening is people are talking about yoga more it's not just this thing you do in a studio that you know makes you feel good I think people are talking about it and in that talking about it I think there's also this momentum to open things up that it's, it's not just a practice for the privileged, it's a practice for everyone. It's not just a practice for people with thin bodies, it's a practice for everyone. It's not just a practice for, you know, a particular demographic, it's for everyone. So I think there are some positive things that are happening in the yoga community, if we can call it that. But I also think uh, the model that pre-existed will continue to hold the essence as it did before and as it will after and that is um, where yoga is practiced in its holistic authentic way those places will continue to hold the essence of what yoga is really all about i want to ask you more about what you're offering next what's coming up next how you decided to transition your retreats or build a new retreat for the healthcare professionals did that come out of the pandemic and seeing the need for that or where did that originate from 
So prior to the pandemic, I really realized that what was lighting me up the most was teaching in a retreat setting. And it nourished me the most because it, not, it, it included an immersion into yoga and a yogic schedule and a yogic life. You can nourish people with a sattvic diet. And for many people, that's, that's, it's cleansing. It's cleansing not to have caffeine, not to have sugar, not to have junk food, not to have processed food. So it, it, it I was really... Um, the most exciting thing about teaching for me was teaching in a retreat setting. So that was before the pandemic. And I was teaching at Hollyhock. And one of the students was a nurse who had found yoga many years ago when she was working in an emergency room setting. And she came back to yoga, you know, 15 years later when she was working in an addictions facility. And she was saying to me, Farah, I wish that more doctors and nurses knew what yoga was all about and because it could help them so much. And I said, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's create something for them. And then the pandemic um, arrived, was declared. And, and of course, the pressures on the healthcare system and healthcare workers just went through the roof. And in that context, I reconnected with my, this nurse friend and I said, okay, let's, let's do it. Now's the time. And this is one of the retreats I'm doing that, that really is trying to make yoga more accessible to a population that might not go to a yoga studio. And, you know, Yoga for many people, and myself included, when I first started yoga, is very intimidating because in North America, it's very acrobatic and very physical, and there's a perception that you have to be flexible, and it's about flexibility and strength, and um, and there's also a perception that it's it's spiritual, quote unquote, and and you know what we really wanted to do is we wanted to take the physical and breathing practices of yoga, the relaxation practices of yoga, and some of the wisdom, the nuggets of wisdom, and take it to a population that need it and, and make it digestible for them. You know, so we did our first retreat in April. And it was it was an experiment. You know, it was like, okay, let's try this. Let's see if it works. We actually brought in a yoga therapist who is, has a specialty in trauma-informed yoga. So really had that lens. And we were blown away by how it was received. And it was received so well. And the connections between the participants and the feedback that we got made me realize that I got to keep doing this. So that's really one of the biggest focuses for me is to create a nourishing container where healthcare, healthcare professionals can be on the receiving end of care and compassion rather than the giving end.
They can be nourished by good food. They can learn in a relaxed setting. They can share with each other because that's, that's the other thing. When you're, um, say, a healthcare worker and maybe your partner isn't, sometimes it's really hard to share the professional stresses without, without it affecting the relationship and also to feel understood. So here's an environment where people have similar professional expertise, background, experience. They can relate to one another and feel understood by one another. And that in itself, I think, is a really valuable thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm so excited to... Um, to work on this, to see it grow, to be able to um, give to the healthcare community, because at some point in our lives, we'll all at one point be in a hospital, whether it's for ourselves or to visit a family member or friend, but we will need the healthcare system. And this is, I feel so grateful that I have an opportunity to give something to that community of people. Mm. It goes back to your point about community right now. And I, so a bell kind of went off for me because my partner is an ER nurse in Sweden. But, and I just, the, when you said about having a partner not really understanding, like I can never understand the experiences and the daily trauma that one has to face, but to have that safe space for those people who also like, they're so busy and overworked that, it's not like they're, you know, in other professions, people might go for after work drinks on a Friday, or I don't know, or do some kind of a group thing. But in, in hospitals and healthcare, it's so rare that people have the capacity to socialize even outside of their workspace. So it's probably really treasured when they get to come out to the retreat and have that experience together. And that we as teachers and facilitators and the staff at the center, we are there to attend to them. You know, if they need something, we're there to provide it, you know, for them to be on the receiving end. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I really, really love about this retreat is uh, for people to experience receiving care and And also, you know, there's something about being in a natural setting that helps us to reset our biorhythm, that helps to calm our nervous system and mind. And it's very healing, especially if there's been a lot of trauma that someone has witnessed. Nature is a very powerful healer. So to be able to bring people to a natural setting and give them time to walk in the forest or walk around a lake and to build that into the schedule. um, It's, it's really, really remarkable. The results. Yeah. And it's also such a beautiful offering because I think during the pandemic, it was really revealed. It all came to the surface, the issues that, even us in Canada, where we have a great healthcare system compared to other places, but we saw a lot of problems come up. And 
I love that you've decided to put yourself in a position with all of your expertise, all of your wisdom to be a part of the solution and offer a reprieve to healthcare professionals, which I'm sure it's really treasured from, by them. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's very gratifying. You know, when you, I'm sure you know this and, and listeners will be able to relate. When you find that you have something, a gift or you have a talent or skill and it's something that's very needed in the world, it is very gratifying very affirming and it is a blessing when that happens mm -hmm. so when's the next one next one is in october and um, we're running it twice a year in the fall and spring so it's october 21st to 24th on bowen island and i'm so much looking forward to working with um, my friends, Corinne McKell, who's a nurse educator and yoga teacher, and Nicole Marcia, who's a yoga therapist and is doing her master's degree in counseling. It, we're a great team. We have so much synergy, and um, it's really a pleasure to work with them. Amazing. Well, I'll definitely put the link in the show notes. And just to wind up, just to circle back, I always love to ask my guests if you have any words of wisdom or if you had to speak to a sadhak or a yogi just coming on this path, what words of wisdom would you leave them and myself with? I would say that for me, the essence of yoga is about plugging into a greater source of love. And, and we all have access to love. You know, you don't have to be a yogi and do asanas to have access to love. We all, as human beings, know how to love and we all can receive love. And so I would encourage people to think about what is it that brings us closer to love in our life whether that's reading wisdom or being in nature or feeling on purpose in the work we're doing you know whatever really puts us in touch with a grand source of love is is probably an indication that we're on the right path mm -hmm. well I feel closer to love just having this conversation with you I really just want to take a moment to appreciate and acknowledge just the presence which you carry you know we're far away but I can just feel that you emanate that love and you live that love and it's really inspiring and beautiful so thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation and to answer your questions and i'm so grateful to be a guest on your podcast thank you thanks for listening to this episode of a curious yogi podcast if you enjoyed what you heard please leave a review on itunes it really really helps the show reach more people or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. 
I appreciate the love and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.